0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of Shared Pages, where I, Ronnie, and me,
1: Ian, <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> <game> together, strong.
0: <laughs> we uh we pick a book uh to read each month. We alternate, and then we discuss said book and. Then- the book choice
1: was Ian's which was The City in the City by China Miéville uh which this won the Hugo? I think this one won the Hugo. I
0: think you said it won a, a Hugo. Yeah, so,
1: uh, which is like the biggest sci-fi award out there.
0: Yeah, and it was a it was a pretty interesting book. Like uh first impressions before we get into summary and everything, I feel like it was uh I liked the the idea and how it was you know, uh, executed. I yeah, guess.
1: it's like a. I mean, because it is. Oh my God, cats! The cats <laughs>
0: waited until we started doing this and started fighting each other. Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, it is, you know, a speculative fiction story set in a fictional Eastern European country, uh, actually two countries. And but then it's also like a police procedural, so you're seeing a city. I think the thing is, is that like we. As Westerners envision the West of Europe pretty much like America, you know, there's some differences. It's, it's similar to North America. Mm. But then, like, we also, because it's still Europe, you, you think of the East like that. Mm-hmm. But East Europe has striking differences from the way the West and the East perceive each other. And even, like, the um, Orban Land book I just read, there's, like, a whole chapter dedicated to, like, part of the problem with, like, culture clashes there is that like they just see things differently but they don't want to accept the differences
0: yeah yeah which is
1: like a big part of this book
0: right um so i don't know do you want to do the summary for this one or you want i feel like also just to preface for this one i feel like a lot of this book is like uh police perce- procedural type stuff or mm-hmm. the, like them discussing clues and like uh, and I feel like a lot of that's going to get skipped when we're talking about like our summarization of the book. Yeah. But you know what? That just makes it even more worthwhile for you to check it out as a reader, because you can kind of see all the in-depth details that they get to look at when they're working on this case. So,
1: um, I was just looking. The novel won the Locust Award for Best Fantasy, Arthur C. Clarke World, the World Fantasy Award, the BSFA Award. The Kitschy's Red Tentacle and tied for the 2010 Hugo Award for Best Novel and was nominated for a Nebula and John W. Campbell Memorial Award. Nice! Um, But yeah, I, I think this, before we even get into summarizing it, is a book that's almost like... It's not exactly like a Lovecraftian story or a Poe story, right? But it is a story where you have to... Like, like, someone could give you a bullet point breakdown of this crime, and you could read three pages and be done, and understand the whole crime, right? Mm. But, because you're, like, experiencing it through the eyes of the main character, who I think his name is pronounced Dot, but it might be Dahat. Uh,
0: I think the main character is actually Traidor Borloo. Oh, oh, Borlu. Barlu. Dahat
1: is the other Dahat one. Dahat
0: is the other one that but he anyways, teams up with, yeah.
1: Um, like, you know, instead of being like... We're
0: definitely probably pronouncing their name. Wrong. yeah but it is fine <laughs> instead
1: of being going through the, the novel and being like these these are what happened where like you know it's it's you have to like relax yourself into the storytelling style otherwise you're just like i could just have learned this from the news article mm. um but yeah uh it takes place in a fictional Eastern European city. We don't really know where. It's somewhere close to Vienna, Budapest. It's, I was gonna say Turkey. In my
0: mind, it's like Budapest esque. Like it's yeah. not Budapest, well, but it's like in that area of the world. It kind of has a similar vibe. Because they, is what I imagine. I
1: mean like I mean Budapest is two cities. Yeah, right, exactly. It's that's, that. that's
0: why I imagined it but, as Budapest. So there's
1: two cities Okomo Okoma Okomo
0: Oklahoma and
1: yeah. um, Bejel. Um And they actually are like side by side, and they don't like each other.
0: And they overlap in some
1: areas. Yeah, so if you look at a map of these cities, there's like solid areas for both countries, and then there's like cross hatches on the map where the cities actually intersect.
0: And it's like a big point in this book that, like, part of the thing is they're like investigating an archaeologist who goes missing, yeah. right? And she, well, she's an archaeology student; and she's not an archaeologist. But I think it's really interesting. So, like, it's kind of debated, like, were they ever one country or one city, right? Yeah. And there's this actual historical event called the cleaving mm-hmm. that is when the two cities kind of split. Yeah, uh, originally I guess is what they think. Is what they think. They yeah. don't know because they're technically not allowed to research, research it, it. I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so um, and like the people who are researching it tend to be like archaeology students from Canada and stuff who are in the countries on visas mm. and the um you know and so they're kind of the loophole of how they research this stuff. But neither country really wants. Neither of the country's politicians really want those countries. Like, they don't want to know what happened pre-Cleavage. They're like, I like it this
0: way. Right, right.
1: But living in either one of these countries is contingent on a law or, like, a trained cultural skill.
0: I guess, yeah. Where
1: if you're in Okuomo and you are walking past a- an area that overlaps with Basel. You are supposed to, like, look at the person on the other side of the street who is from another country and then, like, ignore them. Like, immediately.
0: They, they call, call it, it
1: unseeing.
0: Yeah, unseeing. So, like, the parts of the city where you overlap, like, you could literally live on a street where your house is in El Cuomo and your neighbor's house is in Basil, But you have to, like, pretend that you don't see their house.
1: And Because... Yeah. And what's even crazier to me is that they have, like, cultural colors and distinguishers and things where you could quickly identify.
0: Right, and the way that you you walk is supposedly different, so that, like, you could tell, like, even from the periphery, if you saw someone, like, oh, I'm not supposed to see them because they're in visual. They're in a different city than Um,
1: me. And, like, all of that, I was like, okay, weird, but I could see this being a thing. And then he was driving on the street and unseeing, like, other (laughs) cars. And I was like, are you guys insane? The driving
0: really got me because, like, they talk about it too. So there's these two cities, just really quick before we talk about the driving. There's these two cities, and they are literally almost on top of each other. But you have to pretend that you don't know that other city is right there. You have to think of it like a different country. And they... The, they have a intermediary, is that the right word? They have this middle group that's yeah. called Breach. Hmm. And Breach's whole job is to arrest you if you see the other city when you're not supposed to, basically. Um, and the one... They did say that the the most common cause of Breach was car accidents, and I was like... That makes sense because yeah. you're just driving. How are you supposed to know? Like I don't know. People drive bad yeah. sometimes. And you Breach know, is like-
1: weird because it's not like they're they're they have like a mythological status. Like they're not a part of the governments. They're not police. They're like their own faction, mm. and they like you know they're not looking for you being like oh I looked across the street for. On a second and then look away. They're like they're looking for people who are like hopping borders.
0: Yeah, like, eating in
1: restaurants. They're not supposed to eat in.
0: The uh the thing that got me about Breach, which they never really talked about, is like, you know, they talk about like you were saying, like, there's specific colours and like um like different types of like street lights even that they have in the city so you can quickly unsee them. But With Breach, he never talked about being trained to not notice Breach, Mm. but it seems like Breach almost has this ability to become invisible, where I think, honestly, what it is actually, from reading later in the book, is, like, they they don't have the... they they have almost this like unique way of moving where it's like they don't look like they're in either city so everyone just kind of ignores, ignores them. them. Yeah. But like they talk about them like stepping out of the shadows unseen all the time and I'm like how do they have like invisibility cloaks like what is happening? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but all right so before we go too deep general plot is that Borlu the beigeal detective Mm-hmm. living this life
0: extreme crime squad yeah <laughs> detective Borloo. Mm. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah he's a member of the extreme crime squad and one day he gets a case uh basically it's kind of in like a less reputable part of uh basil and they find the body of a woman um and a bunch of kids have turned in this body and you know they're out there and it seems like they were doing drugs but the cops are like we're not gonna bust you for drugs because you didn't have to tell us about this body laying in the street, but you did.
0: Yeah. Um I was like, good on you. I think yeah. that was also a great opening scene to show you the character of Borloo. Yeah. Because like some it seemed like some of the other cops were like, We wanna turn them in, but he was like, No, come on guys, like we wouldn't have found this dead body without yeah. these these kids' help. So
1: <laughs> Um And so he starts to investigate the body. Uh except that they have like Nothing on her at
0: first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they don't know where she came from.
1: She has no idea. She has no idea.
0: She's like where they like, think she's like a hooker. I think at first, yeah, because first. she's wearing like heavy makeup. Mm-hmm. I think they said. Um. But yeah, so they find this body. Yeah. They don't know where she came. Where
1: from. she came from. Um. But there's a lot of car tracks in the area.
0: And I think the kids said they saw a van. They
1: saw a van, come yeah. Come by a
0: couple times.
1: So they start trying to match the car tracks to makes and models of cars. And I think they use, like, CCTV.
0: some Or something like that, yeah. or, like an equivalency. But they also do mention many times throughout the book that Bazel, or Bezel seems to be less technologically advanced than, like, Okwomo. Like, hmm. they don't have as much... Like, think of, like... You know, back in the '90s, like yeah. they kind of all their equipment is from the '90s, but they're in like 2020. And, you know, and like- it's like
1: <laughs> hinted that that Oklahoma has a better relationship with Western powers, mm-hmm. and they're getting like stuff from like UNICEF and
0: yeah, like they're getting help from other yeah. countries and making money where um, Brazil is not.
1: So they basically eventually narrow it down to this. Well, they find a uh, a guy whose truck is missing. And they also find his truck. Bro, mm-hmm. they find his truck, which leads them to the guy who yeah. owns the truck. And they're like, why didn't you report your truck was missing? And this man also just happens to have one of the passes. He basically has an easy pass. Mm-hmm. Because there's one area in, in the center of both cities. Uh, well,
0: Coppola Hall. The
1: Coppola Hall, mm-hmm. where you can legally, like, it's like a border crossing between mm-hmm. the two. Um the two cities, and he has, like, a, an easy pass to get through.
0: Which, Coppola Hall was so funny and interesting to me, because, like I said, like, your neighbor could be in Old Cuomo, and you could be in Bezel, and you had to, like, you had to like unsee them. But then you, like, go to Coppola Hall, and you could just look across the border and be like, oh, yeah, there's a whole other city right there. And, but you had to ignore it the rest of the time. like Yeah.
1: Um... But they start grilling him because they're like, "Where's your car? Where's your pass for mm-hmm. getting through the gate?" And he's like trying to play it off like nothing's wrong, but his pass has actually been stolen, and that's how all these people they start to figure out that the she was murdered across Como
0: and then and brought, brought into Basil. So initially they want to invoke breach, yeah, which is what you would normally do in these situations because like you don't know how she got over here, all that kind of stuff. And how
1: are you supposed to investigate a crime of a city you can't look at?
0: It, yeah, how are you exactly? Because you can't just walk over and talk to the police over there and coordinate with them. You have to just only use what's on your yeah. side of the city, of your city. And all they have
1: is a body and some mm-hmm. fire tracks
0: and yeah. a car. So they they try to give it to Breach, but then this oversight committee that determines if things are going to go to Breach says, No, we're not going to do that and then they somehow miraculously find this footage of the van legally crossing Coppola Hall. Yeah. So technically it's not, not Breach, Breach because he legally smuggled a dead body through and, the border. And
1: before this, Borloo has been Pushing the buttons of people he shouldn't have been pushing. So, you know, then this footage magically shows up.
0: He's like one of those cops that is like, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get the answer to this crime. I don't care whose feathers yeah. I have like, to ruffle. Like blah, all blah, blah, of <laughs> his
1: co-workers are going like, Don't uh like why are you working so hard to solve this case? It's gonna become breach.
0: I love his assistant. Kauri. Cow- yeah. And because she is like I think half of her lines in this book are what the fuck boss? Like I think that's what she says to him like 90% of the time <laughs> in the book. She he's just like I need you to follow this up, go here and she's like are you fucking kidding me boss? Like that's Yeah, like- <laughs> I can com- I imagine her as
1: what's Captain Marvel's best friend's name?
0: Oh, uh Maria Rambo, I think.
1: Yeah, like think a her it? but in like, you know, like like riot gear. Just walking around <laughs> all she's the just time. She's like, What
0: the fuck, man? <laughs> like, come on. Like, yeah, she is kinda hardcore. Like, when they go question people, she's like, I want you to give me the answers. Like yeah. Yeah. And like
1: even boilers like
0: <laughs> She's like, Whoa, calm no, down. Yeah, okay, we're, we're just, just gonna here. we're just gonna talk to them, okay?
1: But um
0: So she is also a bezel police officer. Yeah. So she's on his in his city.
1: But he starts asking questions of high officials in the government, especially of social democrats one of the parties in Mm Beigel, and then all of a sudden this footage shows up and they're like, we're not invoking Breach. Uh, And also, by the way, you're going to Oklahoma legally to be like a consultant for their task force over there who is now investigating this case too.
0: Also, I do just want to say their reasoning for not wanting to hand it over to Breach, which I think was kind of, it made sense. Is that they were like, we think we hand over power to this third invisible party that essentially makes like these big uh, crime decisions for us. And, and we don't want to slip into doing that too frequently.
1: We don't get a say in it. And also, yeah. it, it goes before like a council of like 13 governmental Something officials. Like that. Yeah. Um, where Borlu kind of has to state his findings. And then they're like, all right, we'll get back to you in like a day. About what we're gonna do, but hint, hint, wink, wink—it's breach, and right. then this not breach.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So clearly, somebody, somebody's moving something along No avoid this going mm. to breach.
1: So, um, but so then Borlu, he can't—he can't take anything with him. He can't take his. He tries to take his gun, they take it away from him. He can't take Calorie. Um, he crosses the border into Oklahoma and starts working with da, Daat or Dahat.
0: Dot. I, I don't know. It's D H A T T. I think. Yeah, yeah, and
1: and because like my French is pretty good, I, the H doesn't make a sound in my head.
0: Dot. Yeah, I, I can see it being Dahat because it, I don't know. It's old como. It kind of sounds it, like it. it sounds. Would, I don't know. Yeah. I have to look it up.
1: And it also, isn't like like the the hot is like Egyptian afterlife or whatever. I, I think
0: so. Um. Also, just really quick though, uh, just a piece of information is that uh Borlu while he's investigating this missing persons uh he he does find out eventually that her name is before Mahalia. he goes over that her name is Mahalia and he finds out that she was interested in the mythological idea of a third city called Orsini Calls Orsini I was saying Orsini uh, okay. in my head I don't know it might O-R-C-I-N-Y. be Orsiny
1: Yeah
0: um and she bought a book called Between the City and the City, which the name of the book is The City and the City, and uh, by a professor named... Bowden? Something Bowden. I yeah. can't remember his... David Bowden, maybe? It might
1: be David Bowden.
0: Um, and so that's just a little tidbit that's like... it's That was like her main motivator for her study into this mythical yeah. city, and why she was there, kind of.
1: Yeah. And we, you know, it's like common knowledge that she was like really hardcore into studying this city that doesn't exist, but it's like a folktale.
0: Not surprisingly, the people in Bezel and Old Cuomo don't like that folktale because they don't like the idea that there could be something uniting their two cities with like the the idea is that Orsini, that it's like theorized is like this uh superpower that kind of, masterminds from the shadows both the cities and so obviously they don't like the idea of people being like no it's real
1: yeah um i mean like so the way i read it is between the city and the city the book and the book that the book's named after Mm -hmm. is like behold a pale horse in our world Mm -hmm. which was like the most shoplifted book in america for a while oh and it's like the beginning of all modern
0: Oh. Like, I, there's a
1: really cool, I think it's Unexplained, it's like a three-part podcast, where they talk about this, the guy who wrote that.
0: Okay. Um,
1: But it's very similar to that. Oh. Um, but, so he crosses over and starts working with the crime squad in Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, I can't remember what they're called. I remember yeah. he was called, like, the extreme murder squad or something, yeah. but then I I can't remember what the they were called on the Oklahoma side. But yeah, so he starts working with the hot. But yeah, who's like Borlu? It, it's so funny because we were talking about how putting like a voice to the characters. Borloo's, like kind of like the always cool and kind of in control, like mastermind, more Sherlocky detective, right? Mm. And the hot's more of like the if you don't give me an answer to this question right now, I'm going to punch you in the face until you give me an answer that I like. Yeah. Kind of cosplay. So, like. <laughs> we talked about this
1: before recording, but I pictured Borloo as, like, a squat Poirot from Agatha Christie, but with, like, a pencil-thin mustache instead of the crazy handlebar mustache.
0: And I pictured Borloo more like a John Constantine, where he's, like, in a trench coat, kind of scruffy-looking. He, maybe... Even though you're drinking black coffee kind of guy is what I was thinking. I see, that's
1: how I pictured, uh... Da the hot. hot Like, he was, like, Stalin slightly out of his prime. He's always wearing, like, like his police gear, but it's got, like, medals that he might have been awarded on, and he's trying yeah. to show off that he's, like, done his job.
0: No, I definitely did picture da hot as more of, like, a thick... Got and definitely the big bushy must the mustache kind of guy you know, mm-hmm. ex army now is yeah. a cop kind of guy.
1: But so now we've got the the buddy cop thing going on.
0: Yeah, good cop, bad cop. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and the first thing they do when they get over there is Mahalia's parents
0: are right, co- they come come in yeah um. And, then, well, actually, Borloo brings them with him from... Because they go to Bezel first because her body's there. Yeah. And they are like, yeah, that's her.
1: Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're kind of put through this crash course indoctrination of, like, don't look at the other city. Um, And, of course, like, the parents are, like, in, in like, They're shocked. like, we
0: don't care, our daughter's dead, like, yeah. whatever, the city's fucked up.
1: They, and they asked to go see the dig site she was working on. Um but they don't get to go there immediately. Right. Um, and then you know, they take them to their hotel and the dad tries to sneak out. Yes. And he's caught by breach.
0: And doing I think it I think in doing so because they're in like a crosshatched area, yeah. I think he climbs out a window yeah. and falls into a bezel area yeah. and they're technically an old Cuomo. So when he, like, jumps out of the window to try and sneak out, because there's guards in front of the hotel to make sure that they don't do that, but because the back area is technically embezzled, the guards can't see that area, so he jumps out into the different <laughs> yeah. city and gets caught by and, and, like,
1: the guards are all like, I don't know how he got by us. They're
0: like, I don't know, like, I can't see over there. I have no idea how he got over yeah. there.
1: <laughs> like- um, but he So he gets... Uh, basically arrested by Breach and knocked unconscious, and they get deported. Yeah. And the mom deported. is obviously not happy about this, because she's like, I need to know who killed my daughter. it
0: sounded kind of scary, because it sounded like Breach caught him, drugged Ten. him, and just kept him drugged um, until they f- could fly them out of the country, and I was like, dude, that's fucking hardcore. Yeah. Like, that's scary as shit.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, you know, they're deported, and Borlu feels bad, but there's not anything he can do for it because Breach is like this quasi supernatural police force.
0: Yeah, essentially, there's like it's Breach. Um, I can't do it. But he does.
1: He's like, I'm gonna find out what happened to your daughter, and like, I'll stay in contact with you. Mm. Um, and then they get sent to the Shadow Realm. Not really. They just get sent to like
0: they get sent back to America.
1: Yeah, back to America.
0: <laughs> of course, it was Americans, aka right? the Shadow Realm. We, we can't respect anybody's customs. <laughs> They immediately invoke the highest authority. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, but, so then, from, what is the next step they take from there?
0: So, then I think they go They go to the dig site. Yeah. Because they were planning on doing that with the parents, but then the parents get deported. But then I think Borloo and Dahat go, mm-hmm. and they talk to the people there, and Bowden is there. Uh, was- which surprised me, because I had no idea he was going to be in there. I thought he was just going to be some guy that wrote a book, but he was actually a professor at the yeah. site. Um, And then they talked to uh, Isabel Nancy? Is that her name? She's the archaeologist professor. I, was I, I think her. so, yeah
1: but they talk to basically the doctoral head of this archeology Yeah, and,
0: and all the students there, too, that were working with Mahalia, the girl who was killed, and everybody kind of says the same thing. They're like, oh, it's so horrible. Oh, like, did you find out who did it? Like, she kind of was, like, really smart and kind of like, but also, like, had no like, tact, so yeah. she got to piss people off, but, like... The way
1: I picture her is, like, you know... <laughs> You know, and it's always sunny when Mac is like very verbose suddenly and he uh-huh. talks like a genius. But like if you took that voice and put it in Charlie Day when he's looking for uh Pepe <laughs> Sylvia. Yeah,
0: I feel like you really could do a Pepe Sylvia board for this yeah. book. Like you could put, okay, we got Mahalia Greery and then we got like, you could put.
1: Like it's know. like, you know, if he was like a doctoral student instead of just like locked in the room freaking out.
0: Uh huh.
1: But, um, and essentially they they interview all these students and from there they uh I can't think of do they what do they meet next
0: um yeah i'm trying to remember what they do next um, cuz there's like
1: a blank in my head for some reason from here i think
0: they kind of hit a dead end i just remember I'm at not- one point they look for the what are they called? Union unifactionists that's, of old. Cuomo? That's what I was
1: trying to think of something happened between there. Because he goes for a walk. Borloo goes for a walk at night and he's not supposed to. He's like he's allowed to, but they don't want him to. Mm-hmm. And then he gets taken back to his uh hotel by the police. And then uh when uh yeah, the think... hot picks him up the next day, he's like, I wish you hadn't done that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I kinda I think they go to the because they kinda hit a dead end. Mm. And Borloo is like, well, look, I got a call from somebody, it was on this side, he, like, didn't tell the hot about it before, and he's like, I think it's probably one of your unifactionists, but the thing is, in Bezel, the unifactionists are kind of allowed to exist, now the unifactionists, from my understanding, they are people who think it was one city, Yeah, but... They work with each other across the border, but not in a way that's breach. Because I think you can call across the border mm. on a phone.
1: Yeah, and- but
0: it's weird because do they do they want to unite the city, or do they want? Does the bezel ones want the city to all be bezel, and then the it's Oklahoma unclear. Ones
1: want- but the other thing that they make a point of stating is that like other groups are political parties, and the unifactionists or unification whatever they're called are not a political party because in technically they would be like under more thorough investigation.
0: Right. Um, they can't technically be classified yeah. as that. So um,
1: But yeah, uh we did skip over this. What the uh Borlu before going to Okomo, gets a phone call from someone in the city that's like I know more about this, and like, it, like it's on this side of the border. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, which is
1: what he tells uh, the hot finally. So they, they go to, like, the local unificationist uh, headquarters, and, you know, they're, like, set, basically, like, an illegal organization that's allowed to exist because they haven't done anything yet.
0: Yeah. they so can be proven. They
1: see a cop car roll up, and two cops roll up and get out of the I get out, and they're just like, Yeah, you're not coming in here.
0: Yeah. And then they like open the door a little bit, and then the hot just like kicks the door in and is like, Everybody sit down. We're fucking interrogating you right now. Yeah. And then this is what I mean, like Dahat's like, Tell us what you know about like Mahalia Greary and he just like starts punching a guy. Yeah. And Borlu's like, What the fuck, man? Like, I didn't ask for that. And then he and, has
1: no like power here because he's like a consultant. He's not technically a police officer. Yeah, the so Borlu
0: can't really do anything. But Dahat does have each of them go around and say, Inspector Borloo, I have some information for you or yeah. something like that, because that's what the person on the phone call said. And so then and Borlu kind of thinks the one voice might sound like the person who called him, but he doesn't say that because yeah. he doesn't want the hot to beat the living shit out of this person. So he's like, it's none of them. And then they leave. Yeah. Um.
1: Um, and they end up, well, they go back and they're kind of at a dead end again. And I think this is when Borloo talks to Bowden for the second time.
0: Uh, maybe.
1: Because they they go to the Unificationists and then they Where do they go from there? This is like I, I remember I the, know
0: the guy calls him again.
1: Yeah, like he calls back eventually and says yeah. like thank you for not turning me in. Um and then Oh, oh he goes back and he meets her boy uh Mahalia's like former boyfriend?
0: Um, she didn't have a boyfriend.
1: Oh, is that as, Yo- far as they know Yolanda?
0: Yolanda had a boyfriend. She was dating one of the guys at the uh the security guards at the University yeah. Dig site. And they there sh- there's a fake bomb or a real bomb that was sent addressed to Bowden, Professor Bowden. Mm-hmm. And so then that's I think when they go talk to him and they're like, hey.
1: Yeah, but how does Yolanda get
0: introduced? She's missing when they go to the dig site right. they she's, find out she's been she's missing, missing for a few days but she was mahalia's best friend mm-hmm. yeah sorry this book is a very like there's a lot of information it's kind of convoluted like it all gets kind of like grouped together in the middle like it's hard to keep it separate but if you read it for yourself you'll be able to see just all the information that he's getting while he's doing this investigation
1: yeah but now we have to untangle the Gordian knot um so he they go to the unificationists, and then a bomb gets sent to Bowdoin. And Bowden, like, they're all kind of like, How did you know this was a bomb? Um, but he basically just takes it out to a police officer on the street and is like, Does this feel weird to you? Yeah. And
0: And it's not his job to look at the mail. Yeah, so just, which is extra weird. He
1: just says it was like left on the front doorstep, unaddressed.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and it felt heavier than normal, so he thought it was a bomb.
0: So Borloo thinks it's kind of weird that this guy is, like, so interested in, like, this case. The security guard who found the bomb. and Well, the
1: security guard who the bomb was turned over to, right? Because Bowden finds the bomb.
0: No, Bowden doesn't find the bomb. The Akeem finds, the the security guard finds the bomb. I don't know. Maybe Bowden finds the bomb. Bowden finds the bomb. But then what does the security guard do? I thought, what, what part does he play there? I
1: thought Bowden found the bomb, went outside to the police, and was like, hey, this is a bomb. I think this is a bomb. And then Akeem is called in to look at it and then calls the inspector. is what I thought happened.
0: No, I think that Akeem... Well, okay, so from my understanding, I don't want to say you're right or wrong. From my understanding, the security guard, Akeem... Found the bomb because he was going out of his way to look at the packages coming into the university, which was weird because it's not his job. And he had already expressed interest in the case by seeming over enthusiastic, asking about if they had any information on what happened to Mahalia and who killed her. And then they also realized that Yolanda had been missing, and they knew that Mahalia didn't have a boyfriend. So Akeem couldn't have been dating her, but since Yolanda is missing, maybe Akeem is somehow connected to her. But if Bowden found the bomb, I don't know how they would connect Akeem to the case in the way that they do. If he was the one who found it, because it wouldn't be weird if Bowden was looking at his own mail, because it's addressed to him. The bomb but, is addressed to him.
1: Okay, I mean, I don't know.
0: Well, what did what do you remember?
1: I thought Bowden found the bomb, and it was unlabeled. It didn't have, like, any university person's name on it. So he just picked up the package. It was like, this feels weird, and takes it out to the police on the street, who call in the security people. And then because Akeem was over enthusiastic about the case already, he calls Borloo and the hot.
0: Also, they established in the book that Bowden doesn't have an office at the university, yeah. so all of his mail goes to his apartment. Mm-hmm. So it was extra weird that it was sent there because Bowden is not at the site every day. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot going on in this book.
0: Well, either way, Akeem somehow ends up with this bomb, and they're like, How did you know to look for a bomb? And he said it is because it felt heavy.
1: Yeah, I felt wrong. The Which felt wrong. Borloo
0: is like, that feels weird because this is a university. So you get like stacks of books sent to you all the time. So like, why would it just being heavy be enough to make you think it was a bomb? So it, Borloo is kind of like suspicious, but he doesn't want to like outright say like, I'm suspicious of you, security guard. So instead, what he does is he um pays a little urchin. To take a note to Akeem, the security guard, and say, like, come quick, I need you, or something like that. And when Akeem reads the note, he immediately like leaves his yeah, post and, and like just
1: <laughs> goes to like like uh a, a poorer part of town, uh, where there's like a tenement building and uh Borlu. I'm impressed that he follows him this well without this this guy noticing him at all. But then, essentially, like he knocks on, uh, Akeem knocks on the door. You, Yolanda opens it and lets him in, and Borlu just kind of like barrels in behind him, and is like, "I'm here now."
0: Yeah, and he's like, "Yolanda, why did you like run away?" And Yolanda is like in a panic because Mahalia had told her probably the most about her research into Orsini, but she like. Um, Yolanda doesn't, like, know anything about it, but when Mahalia went missing she assumes it's because Mahalia found out something about Orsini being real and is like, oh, they killed Mahalia and now they're gonna kill me too. Yeah. So she, like, thinks Orsini is a real place yeah, that like, is um, gonna, like, come it's for her. coming
1: after her. Um, and essentially she's been living, like, living rough. Like eating like granola bars. There's and like no food. bathroom.
0: Yeah, there's no bathroom. There's like buckets. Yeah. Um uh,
1: but she uh and Borlu, through talking to them is like, I'm gonna get you out of here and in the mm Um but you have to trust me. And they're like, Why would we trust you? Like <laughs> people have already died.
0: Well, initially Borlu suggests to her that she just breach, yeah. so that she can get taken in by breach. But Mah- or not Mahalia, Yolanda is scared that breach and Orsini are the same thing. She doesn't want to get caught by breach if they are Orsini, the people that she thinks killed Mahalia. So she, so instead, he's like, "All right, we're essentially going to smuggle you into Bezel by pretending you're a police officer from Okomo." Yeah. And- so he
1: he has to convince the hot. To, like, get some old police uniforms, get some ID cards, and basically he's, like, risking this other cop's job, who doesn't really trust him anyways, because they're from two different cities, but he convinces them to work together, because he starts to point out how, like, this is bigger than just, like, either city's crimes, or even breach, it's just, like, the, you know, this is, like, a trail that goes, like, all the way to the top.
0: Right, exactly. So they begin, they do their plan to, like, smuggle her across Coppola Hall with some, like, fake papers and a uniform. And he, he also gets a call from Bowden, who at this point was missing. Mm. And it, they Bowden claims, like, that he uh, essentially, like, ducked out because he was scared that Orsini was also coming for him. Yeah. So Bo- Borloo is like, okay, shit, I guess we'll try and smuggle you across to meet us at Coppola Hall at this time. And when they go, Yolanda is, like, obviously very scared and panicking the whole time. And then they, like, turn around and they see Bowden, And he- I think he pulls out a gun or a, w- or a weapon of some kind. He pulls out,
1: like, like a single-shot rifle, it seems mm-hmm. like.
0: And Yolanda like panics, but then at that time also gets shot by another,
1: by someone shooter, else. Yeah,
0: another sniper. And they are technically in bezel, mm. but shooting across the only area where they could at Coppola Hall across mm. the border into Oklahoma. So it's technically not breach. Yeah. And then it seems like they're going to shoot at Bowden too. So Borlu like tackles him to the ground. Mm. Um, Which is,
1: like, incredible reflexes to be like, this man had a gun, the woman he was pointing the gun at got shot, but he didn't shoot it. Someone else shot it, so I'm gonna tackle the guy who didn't shoot the gun at that lady.
0: Yeah, and so he, like, tackles Bowden, and then he, like, yells something, like, keep an eye on him, and chases after the shooter, but technically... Borlu is still in Oklahoma because he hasn't crossed over into Bezel legally yet. Mm-hmm. So he is technically breaching, Yeah, but in doing it in a way where it's not obvious that he's doing so, but he's chasing the sniper through the streets of Bezel while he's on the Oklahoma side, mm-hmm. and they're like running side, side by, by side. side on a street, but they're technically in different cities, so like he shouldn't be able to see him to chase him and the sniper shouldn't be able to see Borlu to run away from him but they are both like committing breach by doing so mm-hmm. but it's like again you can't prove that somebody was like looking at the way I else. saw this
1: part is like in the old uh noir mysteries where like someone's walking down a dark alley and you see like the guy walk out in his trench coat with the collar pulled up too high uh-huh. and they're like looking over their shoulder and the guy's like not really not to look at them and they're both just walking really fast yeah
0: and then, uh, the sniper on the bezel side comes up to an area that's, uh, I think they call it total bezel. Mm-hmm. Like when it's in completely one city, it's called total. Um, and Borlu's like, if this guy goes down that street, I, I can't even run alongside him anymore because he's totally in bezel and I'm technically in Oklahoma still like I'm going to lose him. So Borlu just makes a decision <laughs> yeah. to to cause breach and he shoots the this guy. is the
1: man's whole career. He
0: shoots him and kills him from mm. like straight chest shot, I think it was. Yeah. Like uh, right across the border. It's very obviously breach and then these people step out of the shadows around him and essentially knock him out and take him away. Yeah. So which is
1: the end of part 2.
0: Mhm. So now I mean Borlu knew he was doing that. He knew he was caught. He, he
1: was like, I have to do this or lose this case.
0: Or lose it. Yeah, this guy's gonna get away. And at that point, he thinks that uh, the sniper who shot Yolanda was also the guy who killed Mahalia, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: But so, Borlu wakes up and they don't like, Breach just seems to be hyper-technologically advanced. Like, it would be like if you took like a 19, like someone from the 1970s and woke them up in an apple store.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, from my understanding of Breach, the way that they got so much good stuff is they're essentially bankrolled by both of the cities. Yeah. Like, they're bankrolled by Olcomo and Bezel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, they're essentially, like, the U.S. Army. You know, they're getting all of the funding mm-hmm. from, like, both sides. So yeah. they, you know... They um, they just have so much resources, even though it's a very small right. force.
1: But so. yeah, Borlu wakes up, and a man named Ashil, 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 walks in and is like, "You breached." And Borlu's trying to ask questions like, "What happened to Corfi or Cowry Cowry?" And like, "What happened to Dahai? uh Is Bowden alive? And Ashil is like. You're not here to, like, solve the case. You're here because you breached and you're in trouble.
0: Right. And Borloo's like, I don't fucking care. I'm solving this case. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the third part of the book is where things honestly kind of, like, start, like, everything starts, like, rolling downhill really fast. Like, it's all coming together. And now that Borloo can walk with breach, and he can easily slip between both cities without it being a problem, he starts to, like really researching, like, what happened to Mahalia, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he finds out, by finding Mahalia's copy of Between the City and the City that she hid in the university library Mm -hmm. with all of her notes, that she actually stopped believing in Orsini, and that is actually what got her killed. Yeah. Because she stopped believing in it, and somebody was using her belief in Orsini to help her commit a crime, basically. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: they, some, so, the dig site is mostly in Okomo, but there's, like, crosshatch sections there, and someone was using her to sneak out artifacts, like, pre-cleavage artifacts out of Okomo into, uh, facial, and then selling them, uh, and... My voice, and then uh, I'm trying to think of what he's doing here. He's he think like without giving away who the criminal is right now, but like there there is someone from Basial who thinks that like they're stealing money from the other city by doing this.
0: Yeah. So, uh, oh, okay. I don't know, you just looked at me like, I'm supposed to say something. So yeah, I'm, like, I mean, you like you
1: wanted to say something. Oh,
0: I don't know. Uh, Yeah, so he, like, uh, the, they, like, find out that what Mahalia was doing is she was taking older artifacts, not newer ones, and she was slowly, like, getting pieces that would all make one item, I think. And she, what she would do is she would have a hole cut in her pocket and she would go on a walk in this park that is crosshatched, and she would drop the artifact in her pocket hole, and it would fall down her leg into from uh, Old Poma into Basil, and then she would, like, kind of kick some dirt over it, and then somebody from the Basil side would, like, walk through that same park and then, like, pretend that they were, like, looking at the sky and, like, pick up the artifact that she had left, and... That's how they were smuggling stuff, which was technically breached to do yeah. that. It's not legal.
1: But, like, hard breached um, the
0: spot. And they're like, who would benefit from this? And Borloo is like, well, I think that it's this corporation called uh, Seer hmm. and Core, hmm. because they want to use Basil to essentially make money, like you said, off of old Coleman artifacts. Yeah. Uh, well, they don't actually know who those artifacts belong to because the dig site kind of has stuff from both, both. cities. It seems yeah. like, but the full the location of the dig site is on <laughs> Okelman territory. Yeah. So. Um. But so, just as Borlu convinces Ashil to uh, like, kind of go to Searing Corps and arrest some people they get news that unifactionists have made two busloads of refugees crash into each other, which, like, not only is there being a massive accident from two transporters on opposite cities running into each other, but they're refugees, so they don't understand how to unsee other cities. So breach events are just happening all over the city, and there's, like, no way to contain it initially. Yeah. And it's essentially a distraction.
1: Yeah, to, like they're like, don't come to Searing and Croft. Come yeah, to they the like, accident.
0: Know that breach is powerful but small, so yeah. they have limited avatars like, that they could send when to, they
1: like, when they go to breach after they find out about the accident. Like I just pictured that, like everyone was like. Like, they were like, all right, there's a breach here. And they were like, okay, we'll go there. And then someone else was like, and there's a breach here. And they were like, all right, you go there. And then they're like, there's a breach here. And they were like, I don't know, man, there's
0: only eight of us. (laughs) There's only eight avatars of breach. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, no. So they're like, they're very, spread very thin. Ash Hill essentially can't convince any other breach agents to come with them to actually arrest the person who's behind all of this. So it's just him and Borloo, like, okay, I guess we're gonna go arrest this guy. And they get to Siren Core. Joe says the person who's behind it all is trying to escape. Uh so they know see a
1: helicopter, I believe.
0: Right. So yeah. they know the representative that is like leading Siren Core and Bezel is probably behind it, a man named Ian Croft. But they don't know who else from the Bezel side could be behind it. They just have a suspicion. Mm. And when they get there they find one of the social democrat politicians named Mikhil Burick is yeah. also there. So And
1: some nationalists.
0: Yeah, and some bez nationalists. So I think the nationalists, I think the unifactionists are the ones that want the cities to be one. one. I think the nationalists are the one that want to it, it they want them to be one, but, but to like
1: engulf it in their city. Yeah.
0: So the Bez you nationalists want the city to be one, but it's all bezel. Yeah. They don't want to make it Bez and Nupova. They want to make it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so essentially the politician Burek admits that he was behind this smuggling sh- scheme because he just hates Old Cuomo a lot. Yeah, and he's he wants. Just, I, I mean, it, it's like a commentary
1: on why like nationalism is bad. Yeah, like, he just inexplicably hates this whole city because he's been told to hate this whole, the whole city his whole
0: life. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, they they start shooting. Uh, Burek is killed. Ashil gets hurt. Hurts. I think he gets shot in the shoulder, yeah. and then he gets shot in his like bulletproof vest that he's wearing. Yeah. So, but he's still hurt. And Croft ends up escaping mm. because he's like, I don't fucking care if you're a breach. I'm an outsider. Bye, bitch. Yeah. And he just, like, takes off in his helicopter. Yep. <laughs> um, but they... they Have
1: essentially solved the
0: case. They've essentially solved the case, <laughs> but there's still the question of how did Mahalia get convinced into doing this smuggling scheme and then Borlu's like, Bowden. Yeah. Because she, like, she loved Bo- Professor Bowden's book about Orsini, and she, like, believed Orsini was real, even though she said she didn't, but she was still investigating it, and she he was like, oh my god, Bowden used Orsini to make Mahalia think she was helping Orsini get these artifacts, but actually she was just helping this <clears throat> corrupt politician yeah. get them. And that's when they get the call from, I think, Dahat? Mm-hmm. Or, or no? Uh, somebody at the border tells. Oh, I think it's actually Breach. Tells him that okay, Bones at the border, but he's acting really weird. Yeah, like they don't know if he's in the city of Old Cuomo or Bezel, and he's yeah. like doing this weird walk. <laughs> yeah, they're... so they can't see him. Yeah, <laughs> and and he's like nobody can touch him. Basically, Breach is too busy with all these other things. Like we can't get to him. Like he's gonna get away. So I think what Borlu does here is really smart. Yep. Because he has allies in Oklahoma, and he has allies in Bezel. So he calls Dahat in Oklahoma and he's like, just go stand there and watch him and follow him. And then <laughs> and then he's like, I can't watch him, I don't know where he is. And he's like, Okay, then just go for a walk. Yeah. Just just go for a walk and tell me where you are. Kind of like wink wink, follow <laughs> him and then tell me where you are. And he does the same thing with Cowrie on the bezels bezel side. Yeah. And and so this is like these two cops. I imagined it like this. Two cops on the same street, walking on opposite sidewalks, right? Bowden's walking in the middle of the street, doing like a weird walk. He has like a weird outfit on. They're like, we don't know what city he's in. So they're just kind of like looking at him out of the periphery, kind of like following him in the middle of the street. And then uh Borlu like pulls up and he goes to Dahat first, and he, like, taps him on the shoulder, and he's like, I'm here, and Dahat's like, okay. Yeah. Then he goes over to Kauri, and I think they, like, hold hands really quick, and then he, like, goes up to Bowden and, like, confronts him. But I thought it was really smart because the whole time Borlu's like, taking note of the way he's acting, and he's like, all I need Bowden to do is slip up and make a movement like he's in one of the cities, and then, like, Cowrie or Dahat could have just, like, grabbed him, yeah. right? Um, but I think what actually ends up happening is Bowdoin just, like, admits... They, like, talk to, him
1: into com- confessing. He just, like,
0: talks him into confessing by being... by doing that thing where he's like, oh, the killer is always so arrogant. Yeah. That, like, you know? So, uh, Bowdoin just confesses, and then Borlu ends up, like, taking him taking in.
1: Taking him in. Yeah. So... Um, which essentially wraps up the mystery, but then it wraps up... There's, like, a little bit of Borlu hanging out with Ashil and they're, they're he's like, when do I get to go back to my home? And they're like... You don't. Yeah, joke's on you. You live here now. And so he is in the city within the city at the end.
0: Yeah, so Borlu becomes an official member of Breach, which I actually kind of like that ending, but it's kind of sad because he essentially has to walk past, like, Cowrie and Dahat probably, like, every day but pretend he can't see them. Yeah. Because they're, like... Not in his city. And it's unclear from
1: his character if this is, like, something he's even interested in. They're just like, you've been here and now you're one of us.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like a... It's not a complex novel, but a lot of things happen in, like, two days. Yeah. And then you just kind of, like... It all kind of blurs together.
0: Yeah. So, uh... So I'm gonna make your... Repeat yourself again. I've been saying this. I think that this book was a is a great... Uh that metaphor. an allegory. Allegory for like <laughs> I don't know if this is true. Like the author might listen to this and be like, oh, that's that's if not If right China at all.
1: maybe listen to this, I'd be like, <laughs> You wanna come over?
0: But I think this this book is kind of an allegory for how we kind of unsee things yeah. in our city. A
1: story poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one.
0: Exactly. So, allegory, yeah. I think that this book can be kind of how we are trained to, like, unsee things. Like, you know, in big cities, we kind of, like, unsee homeless people. Yeah. And we kind of ignore things like that, and I kind of think what that's what this book is. Yeah. And, ultimately, the lesson of this book is kind of, like, when you unsee stuff, it makes it so much harder for people to actually come um, together, yeah. you know?
1: And, like, I mean, you could take, like, a lot of different things. Like, you could be, like, you know, no matter what you do, even when you think you're doing something good, it's still enriching the government mm. somehow. Or, like, you know, I have I've, I read a lot about, or I read into it a lot of, like, cult- cultural mixing where, like, people see in binaries, but, like, we always... So we either see people as, like, black or white or Asian... But we never think, like, oh, that's, like, a biracial person whose mm. culture, like, has, like, a unique view of the world because they experienced multiple cultures at from birth, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh. So did you have a favorite part of the book?
1: I mean, it was when they're walking side by side. Like, it just seems like a really cool chase scene of, like, we can't acknowledge each other, but we're both hunting each other.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that was a really cool um. one. Uh, I don't know if it was my favorite part, but I did I did tell you about this too. It's literally one one paragraph. I kind of wanted as like a, a mini story about this, but they talk about how there's like a famous like folktale within Bezel and Okuma. Yeah, that is like kind of a shared folktale of like I can't remember who was from where, but we'll just say there's like a woman from Bezel who falls in love with a a man oh, from yeah. Oklahoma. And, like, they fall in love at Coppola Hall, I think, so they can see each other there. And then they, like, go home back to their own cities and they realize they live right next to each other, but they can't see each other because they're technically in different cities. So they have to, like, live their lives side by side in love, but, like, not ever acknowledging each other. I mean, it's... Which, I don't know, I thought that was really interesting. It seems like a
1: take on Pyramus and Thisbe.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, or
1: Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like you know,
0: to an extreme version because yeah. they like Cause
1: it's not even, like there's a wall separating them. They're yeah. just like we can't even look at each like other. Like
0: they, I think it said something like they could walk side by side on the sidewalk, but they couldn't like hold hands because they were technically in different cities or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, damn, that's like yeah. Why don't you guys just go to Coppola Hall more often? Is what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I liked that part uh, of the book. Um yeah, any notable quotes or anything like that stand out to you? I didn't. I didn't you know, write any down the time. Quotes wise, it. it
1: didn't really like nothing. It's not a book that I would consider quotable.
0: Mm. Um,
1: but like what? Because like what to me what stands out is it's like it really is you're in a crime procedural, and you're just trying to connect the dots. Um, which actually is, like, what this podcast kind of turned into, is, like, we had all the events, and we were like, what the heck, where did this stuff happen in?
0: I think that there could be some good quotes in here about unseeing. I just didn't write any down this time. I was really pressed for time on finishing this one. Um, but I think there could be some really good quotes about that kind of stuff in here.
1: Um, well, usually, as I'm reading books, I, I, I tweet quotes and stuff of them. Yeah. And, like, I didn't have the urge during this.
0: Uh, and one last thought that I had for this. If we had, like, if this was a physical book club, I I don't know, I just love thinking of little ideas like this. Wouldn't it be funny if you did an activity where you, like, Gave one group uh, like some clues to solve something, and then another group some clues to solve something. But they and then they had to like work together, but they couldn't talk to each other to solve the clue, and then see if they could do it because that's essentially what these investigators are doing in this book. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, I think that would be kind of that'd be a
1: cool like uh, escape room.
0: Yeah, like a little escape room type activity. I don't know. That's what I was thinking. Uh, but yeah, so that's the city in the city.
1: Yeah, I'd I've, I've be interested to read um, <coughs> "Perdido Station," which I think is his most popular book. But I also want to read. Oh, um, uh, uh, this might have come out before it. But he has a book about uh, the Russian Revolution.
0: Oh, interesting. Um,
1: which is like a, almost like a romantic take on it. Like you know, it starts out with this like I don't remember who it is, but it's some Russian leader like, reaching down and, like, sticking his shovel in the dirt and being like, I'm gonna build an empire <laughs> like, you know. Alright. <laughs> um, I know people really like that. Um.
0: So, rating. What well, out of, what do you, what do you do? You do out of f- I do ten. out of,
1: well, I can, I can do out of ten. I usually uh, do out of five.
0: Out of five. Out of uh, five uh, stars. Because to
1: me, like, a two and a half is just, like, your average book. Yeah. Um, this is, like, a three and a half out of five for me.
0: Yeah, I'd have to say if we're doing a scale of five, I'd probably also give this a three out of five. Mostly because, just for like me personally, a three out of five. Because like, I honestly don't really like crime books normally. I don't know what it is. Like, I I could watch like a true crime thing. I don't watch them that often, though. I just think that that type of storytelling is not up my alley. But if you're a fan of like crime, and also like that sci-fi aspect to it where it's like there's a city but there's not a city kind of thing definitely a very enjoyable read uh three out of five for me. yeah yeah
1: like it's it's really interesting and i think like i just think it could have been denser from the character's perspectives like i wanted to know more about what they're thinking but instead you learn more about the city via like information on, like, papers or stuff in the book that he's looking at, or conversation, and that's part of, like, the first read is really, like, piecing together the cultures, and mm. then you can focus on the characters in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, like, I would have liked them more, like, like if it was completely first-person Borloo, and you just went through his whole internal monologue. Yeah? That would have, like, pump- pumped it up more for me.
0: So, uh, next month's book, for June, uh, Pride Month, heck yeah! Where are my other Alphabet Mafia members? Uh, we're going to be reading uh, Winter's Orbit by Everina Maxwell. Um, and so, from my understanding, this is like a sci-fi political romance? No. Yeah,
1: It's... So it was a book of the month at Barnes & Noble like, a few months ago. Um, and it was a sci-fi speculative fiction book of the month. And it takes place in space where, like, instead of the European nation states being countries, they're planets. And there's a planet that is essentially Austria. And France, Francis Ferdinand, gets assassinated. Or no, and he he is gay in this story marries his husband, and I don't know if it's his husband or him who gets assassinated. I think it's got to be him. Because he gets assassinated, and the planets all start mobilizing like you would in World War One like history. And the Austrian royal line is notoriously fickle for who can be a part of that. So his husband is forced to marry Francis Ferdinand's cousin, essentially, to keep the bloodlines right and all this stuff. So I don't know, I don't know much else about that other, like, I don't know if it's, like, more romance, if it's more political thriller, if it's both.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of hoping for equal spread of both, honestly. I, you know, on the cover here, it says Sparks Fly. I feel like that's got to be an indicator that there's a good amount of romance in it. But we'll, like, that's what I'm hoping for, at least, but...
1: Prince Keem, a famously disappointing minor royal and the emperor's least favorite grandchild has been called upon to be useful for once. He's been commanded to fulfill an obligation of marriage to the representative of the Empire's newest and most rebellious rebellious vassal state. His future husband, Count Ionien, is a widower and a murder suspect. Neither wants to be wed, but with conspiracy unfolding around them and the fate of the Empire at stake, they will have to navigate the thorns and barbs of court intrigue, the machinations of war, and the long shadows of Yannian's past. They'll have to do it together, so begins a legendary love story amid the stars.
0: Baby, I'm excited. Captivating.
1: Martha Wells, New York Times bestselling author of the Murderbot Diary series.
0: I mean, I'm excited to read this one. Yeah. So I'm here for it.
1: Um, It was hard to sell when I was working at Barnes & Noble. Not because of the content of the book, but there's like, the hook is hard, right? Like, to go up to someone and be like, it's a World War One space opera romance. <laughs> like, it's Wait, like, are you saying
0: there's not a lot of people looking for that? But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to give Winter's Orbit by Evarina Maxwell a read. So please read along with us. I'm going to try and be better about updating the Twitter page this month. I was really swamped last month with stuff, so I just ended up not getting to it. But I'm hoping to be able to do it this month. And uh, yeah, Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah.